Good morning, everyone. Friends, uh, this is uh, the eighth day in the octave of Easter. Now, of course, our Easter season continues till Pentecost, um, but the octave uh, will end uh, at sunset this evening. Friends, all of the scriptures in this gospel reading, um, preachers have so many options to preach about. Because in the gospel, it's pretty much the first thing that comes up. Jesus could have said many things when he first appears to them again. And he first says, peace. And then he goes on to commission them. And uh, I'm not surprised by this because throughout all of human history, God has been more than eager to grant forgiveness and mercy uh, to all of his people in all times. And uh, God is more eager to give forgiveness and mercy than his people are to receive it. Uh, Even in this day, people have a hard time receiving God's forgiveness and his mercy. But we see on the very eve of the resurrection, Jesus appears to the apostles. He offered them first and foremost a sign of peace. That's a sign of forgiveness. Remember, they all ran away and hid. And in fact, they're still hiding. Uh, They're locked away in the upper room. And Jesus immediately says to them after that, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And then he breathes on them, receive the Holy Spirit. Whose sins you forgive are forgiven them. My friends, the power to forgive sins was a very beautiful gift from our Lord to his church. And uh, it is a sign of God's special love and what we call mercy. And on the second Sunday of Easter, also uh, known and understood by many as Divine Mercy Sunday, I think we would do well, each one of us, to recount God's forgiveness and his mercy and his love, especially in that forgiveness that he has been doing since uh, he created uh, the world, and then we had Adam and Eve, you know, go off and do their thing, um, get us all in trouble. Um, God shows his tenderness and care in his love. Almost all of the Gospel of John speaks this way and about this. My friends, uh, first and foremost, as all Christians believe, I'm, I'm talking about all of the denominations, uh, baptism is that first sign, that first sacrament. Um, of his love and of his uh, mercy and of his compassion and his forgiveness because it is through the waters of baptism that we are washed clean. And with all sins forgiven, then we are reborn anew as his sons and daughters uh, of the Almighty One, God. We enter the family of God on this earth in his son's church. My friends, throughout our lives as God's children, like other children, we make mistakes. Sometimes really bad ones. We fall short of the holy expectation that is upon us disciples. At times with each other, we become neglectful. uh, We become very quarrelsome. We become very selfish. Rather than being thoughtful with one each other and uh, being cooperative with each other, Uh, and being charitable of heart, and I mean word and deed. 
even toward our Heavenly Father, we are not always as respectful and as grateful and certainly not as faithful as we should be. But that certainly does not mean that we should be ignoring them and acting as if they do not matter. God does not consider it to be insignificant. He offers us a means of forgiveness, however. The means he offers, first and foremost, is in the Holy Eucharist. Within the celebration of Holy Mass, we acknowledge our sinfulness. My brothers and sisters, we do it right in the beginning. We have the penitential. And if you listen closely to the words of the Gloria, it's in there also. And you don't know this because you can't hear it, but when, I'm, when a priest is finished with the gospel, he kisses the book and he says, may the words of this gospel take away our sins. Not his own only, but ours. You don't hear that because we are told to do it in silence. Christ have mercy. Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see, right up until the time of the Eucharist. This is to get you in a worthy state to receive it. This becomes important. Because with contrition of heart, we receive the body of our Lord given up for us and his blood poured out for us that sins may be forgiven. The sacrament, when received worthily, forgives venial sins. Now, I know I've told you that before, but do you remember that? So today, when you receive the Eucharist, worthily, venial sins are forgiven. <laughs> Yay! You walk out of here like that. <laughs> if you weren't happy coming in, you better be happy going out. Still more, we have the sacrament of reconciliation. That sacrament, remember in our church we have seven. The sacrament of confession, as some know it, sacrament of reconciliation proclaims to us that no matter what, God reaches out to his prodigal children to embrace them in the warmth of his forgiveness. My friends, it is the teaching of Mother Church that mortal sins must be brought to this sacramental cleansing. But we must always uh, submit our venial sins to the power of the sacrament also. Why not? Huh? Especially those that you will recognize as serious uh, or particularly besetting or habitual. My friends, um, John's gospel, there's something in it I want to take a moment to share with you. John is, uh, is very particular about words he uses, particularly around the Eucharist. But also he used a word that uh, I want to talk to you about. In today's gospel, um, one of the things that Mother Church recognizes, not only the beginning of the church, the commissioning of Jesus to his apostles, but also the institution of the sacrament of confession. John tells us that Jesus breathed on them and gave them power to forgive sins. He uses a word that appears nowhere else in the New Testament, the word breathe. Now we have to go to the uh, Greek translation to really understand it because in English we lose uh, the significance. However, that word that he uses, breathe, appears twice in the Old Testament where God breathed into Adam's nostrils to give him life. And... The word is also found 
in the book of Ezekiel. In Ezekiel's vision, uh, he sees a plain, a vast land of dried bones where then God's spirit is breathed on those withered bones and um, the bones take on muscularity and flesh uh, and then they are restored to life. That's Ezekiel 37, 9. John's use of this particular word suggests that reconciliation involves then a new creation. You need to think about it. He used the word that was used in Genesis uh, for life in Adam, and then he used the same word uh, that is found in Ezekiel, where God breathes and puts, reanimates or puts life back into them, giving them new life giving those who are dead uh, through sin new life and grace and making them once again children of God. Use of the word in this connection suggests that the power of the sacrament of reconciliation to restore the life of sanctifying grace. Sanctifying grace is given at baptism and then through our errors and errors and errors and that's my polite way of saying it. Error, 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 mistake, mistake, mistake. Sin, sin, sin. This, that sacrament restores the life of sanctifying grace to one spiritually dead through sin. And that person is being restored to life. My friends, after Jesus' resurrection, we are told many signs and wonders occurred among the people through the hands of the apostles, the first ministers of his church. The signs uh, we enjoy now are, are through the sacraments. The wonders uh, come through them, and one of the great ones is the powers granted by our Lord to his church to forgive sins. On that most wondrous evening, when Christ appeared to the apostles, Thomas was absent. See what happens when you don't go to church? Thomas should have been with them, and in a way that was church for them at that time. So Thomas didn't go, and he missed out. You don't come, you miss out. Without seeing the risen Christ, he refused to believe. We, the disciples today, do not see Christ visually as Thomas was speaking about in the sacraments. However, we are blessed indeed with faith to believe that through the sacraments that he instituted, Jesus, he transforms his people. Especially by way of the forgiveness of sins, because sin blocks God's grace. Within the act of absolution, the priest prays for the person. Through the ministry of the church, may God give you pardon and peace. And the priest goes on to say the words of absolution. That ministry of the church began on the eve of Christ's resurrection and has continued throughout all the centuries, and it still graces our lives today. And my friends, people are often terrified um, of the reconciliation room, and I don't know why. <laughs> and so uh, in the past, if you have been in there, and the priest uh, was unkind, then I apologize. 
because it is not a place of judgment, but a place of mercy and forgiveness. And it is always to be that way. Yes, of course, if someone comes in and they're being silly, then the priest just simply says, you know, you're not ready. Well, step back out and think about some things. Well, my friends, uh, what's key here is in John's gospel, uh, he tells us that uh, Christ came so that we may have life to the full and um, sins prevents that from happening. This is why it's so crucial uh, uh, that they be forgiven, be removed. Uh, my friends, despite the locks on the apostles' uh, door in that upper room, but symbolism of the lock on their heart, Jesus enters in the room they have barricaded and says to them, peace be with you. The fear the apostles had could not keep Jesus away. Once again, he stands before them, offering them peace and forgiveness and abundant life. Fear is not to keep you from his mercy either. Fear is not to keep us, the mystical body, the church on earth, from the commission that was given to us to go and to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to everyone that we encounter. And fear can prevent that from happening. My friends, the church's um, commission is to go and to preach and to heal and uh, to help uh, people to come into the understanding of Jesus Christ. And um, she does that by means uh, yes, we call it evangelization, but she does that by means of what we know as charter. Charter implies uh, uh, rights and authorities given by the, if you in this case, the superior God to, uh, to the subordinate, the church. Rights and obligations. Our obligation is to go and preach the good news of Jesus Christ, to be focused on that. Uh, becomes a bit more focused on uh, its rights and authority. <laughs> But the two of them are tied together. In order to fulfill the obligation, the church must have her rights and, uh, and her authority. But they cannot be seen apart, and they must be kept in balance. And so we pray for our mother church that she always knows, because the danger is always to focus on uh, rights and authority uh, rather than on the obligation. Those rights and authorities help uh, the church to fulfill the obligation. So, um, as St. Paul tells us uh, so uh, clearly, he says, remember, um, we are not the bridegroom. We are the spotted bride, meaning the church. Uh, it's a good thing for all of us to remember, even die. I am a servant. I am not Christ. I act in persona Christi, but I am still his servant, to do his bidding, to do his, uh, to be his mouth, to speak, to be his feet, to run and do the errands, <laughs> to be his hands. But so are you, as disciples, so are you in your own state of life. Mm -hmm. My friends, um, the annual Catholic appeal is beginning, uh, it starts this weekend. Um, I don't like to discuss money 
so the sooner we achieve the goal, uh, the better. Our goal is at $248,000 this year. That's $8,000 higher than last year. Um, we've always achieved our goals. If we can get to that $248,000 as quickly as possible, Father Mark won't have to talk about it anymore. <laughs> but also, we will be able to take $63,000 of that $248,000 and remodel the bathrooms in the church. I don't go in them, <laughs> so I don't know about them, but I hear from you guys, all of you guys. Ugh! <laughs> so, uh, one of the goals would be to uh, take that money and to redo the, both the bathrooms, bring them up into the year 2019, I suspect. Um, so uh, I, we've always reached our goals. Um, I hope this year will be no different. Um, we'll have, uh, in the coming weeks, I'll talk a little bit more. Uh, my friends, we also, as a people, we pray, um, we pray uh, in particular of the news from yesterday of Shabbat Synagogue in um, San Diego, the death of uh, one of its members and the serious hurt uh, to the whole community. And uh, um, we must continue to pray and to be vigilant and to demand um, uh, from all those in authority in our country that places of worship must become places that are safe always. And violence, no matter where it happens, is wrong. The violence while people are coming to worship is particularly um, ugly, particularly ugly. And also we will pray uh, for those affected by the um, crane accident in Seattle before people lost their lives and some others seriously hurt. So we will uh, pray for restoration and peace and healing uh, to all those affected by that. 